0: What is author marketing mastery through optimization, you ask? I'm going to tell you. It's the best way for us authors to make a living selling our books. Are you tired of hearing gurus tell you your book is only good enough to be a lead magnet for services? Are you tired of feeling like you have to be a slave to social media and then frustrated when that time doesn't actually help you sell books? I was too, until I found Ammo. Ammo is the only program that reliably produces results, and it works for anyone. Is it hard work? You bet. Do you have to overcome some of your own prejudices to make AMO work for you? Absolutely. But rather than being another program that rah rah shish tries to get you emotionally excited only to offer unclear methods, AMO shows you how to design profitable ads step-by-step through a unique, never-before-tested formula. The founder, Steve Piper is a data-loving, formula-driven author who escaped the kingdom of Amazon to build a platform for himself where he sold directly to his readers and built a loyal following. With Ammo, you know who's reading your books, how to contact them, and what they want to read next. If you've always been frustrated with Amazon's wall of mystery of not knowing who's reading your books, of losing 50 to 70% of the hard earned money you make through book sales. Ammo solves all of those problems by putting you in the driver's seat and showing you how to fulfill your books directly to your readerships. Click the link in the show notes to learn more. I recorded my conversation with William Gray a couple months ago, prior, but just prior to partnering up with Steve Piper, for TRBM Ammo Edition podcast Wednesdays. And so I have been holding a couple of conversations in my back pocket until it was the perfect time to release them. What I think is so funny about this conversation is how incredibly apt it is for the ammo program. So if you've been listening to my podcast and you want to know more than what the front roll ad talks about, uh, and you're interested in possibly signing up for the program and doing ammo yourself, I would suggest go back, listen to Naomi Rawlings. She's part of the program. Go back and listen to Heather O'Brien. She joined the program and uh, I had her on to ask questions as somebody who was a bit skeptical to start with. Listen to Gordon Carroll and get a sense of if the program is right for you. I'm not gonna do too much of an intro here. I will note that there's a few moments where the audio quality struggles because we had a bad connection during our conversation, but just want you to enjoy everything that William Gray has done. He is a testament to the fact that hard work, persistence, and constant marketing will get your book out there. He's having a lot of success uh, to the point where I'm even a little bit jealous sometimes. And uh, I will say on that note, when I use the word jealous or even envious, I don't think of those things as bad because I'm not wishing the person ill. I'm just seeing that they're having success in an area that maybe I'm not. And I want that success. I still am rooting for those people and cheering for those people. I've never seen anything wrong with wanting what somebody else has as long as you understand that you can get the same stuff by working really hard unless, you know, the world's out to get you. And that might be the case and you'll die of a, a bitter, jealous, envious old man. <laughs> Please enjoy my conversation with William Gray. This is TRBM Ammo Edition. If you're a published author and want to make a living writing books and selling them to avid readers, you've come to the right place. There's simply no program that's more successful in driving readers towards the books you've written. So the only thing you have to worry about is writing a great book. And the system with enamel takes care of the rest. Thanks for listening to this conversation. With the Luke and Time Mysteries, I'm doing everything self published. And mm. so I was trying to think of ways to get reviews quickly for the eight ball magic of Suzy Q. And the dumbest thing is, it took me a long time to realize I use Book Funnel. I can give away as many ebooks as I want. And I think that a lot of authors start to think about uh, giving their book away as being. A negative thing. And I, I mostly yeah. do too. I don't want to give my work away. But when I'm talking about reviews, and when I'm talking about really quickly engaging the community to get some social proof going, I just started sending out a form message to my Twitter followers, similar to what I did to grow my podcast. And yeah. I've gotten 25 email addresses with people who have already verified, collected the the ebook, and now I can hassle them to give me reviews and build some quick yeah. social proof. Um, it, It's a little bit labor intensive, but when you think about, hey, can I race to that 50 review spot and really take advantage of the benefits that come with having those mm-hmm. reviews? It's a big deal. What you're doing is kind of similar with less focus on getting emails, but more focus on driving sales and getting people engaged. And not like tripping their too much work meter, I guess. Yeah.
1: You know, I did that giveaway for the man behind the door recently um, that you posted for me, which thank you. And that was um, that was nuts. Um, I partnered with Books of Horror for that. So um, Books of Horror has like this huge thing going on right now where they're like doing a lot of giveaways because a lot of people are talking about just like financial troubles and how there's, there's definitely a financial barrier with reading. And so like your library is a great asset, but there's a lot of really great indie books that your library is not necessarily going to carry. It doesn't carry. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of great books that are posted there consistently that people want to read, but they might not necessarily get to. So most authors have been doing like 30 or 40 book, like ebooks, or so they'll do like 10 oh, wow. audiobook codes. Or they'll do like a couple physical copies and all that is really awesome. And I was like, I told the admin over there, she emailed me, she's like, would you be interested in doing something? And I was like, I've been thinking about that because, you know, um, you know you're know, you the man behind the door, you know, a little bit about my story and stuff. And mm-hmm. like you know, reading was such a huge part for me. And that financial barrier 100% existed. It was like pulling teeth to get a new book yeah. for my parents. And like, I was like, I want to alleviate that for some people. So I told her, I was like, I've got 5,000 downloads on Bookfunnel. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna open it up, post it. Anybody can get it. I got like 450 emails across that like yeah. long period. Yeah, absolutely. And, so, um, and I mean, it was it was really incredible. And I've already gotten some reviews from it. Some people streaming in, and all the reviews have been really good. And also just like the the goodwill I think that I got from that community because you know that's a mm-hmm. people people view that as a big deal because they value books at that high level because that whole Facebook group is centered around their love of books. And so yeah. I got a lot of goodwill from that too, which I think is really, really priceless. And I wasn't really expecting that. I was just like, I'm just going to give my book away. I'll get some emails I can harass people with. It'll be great. Yeah.
0: And, um, that was part of what, what uh, inspired me to ask you back on the
1: podcast
0: is because, and for, for anybody listening right now, uh, William was on talking about the man behind the door. It's a book I really, really love. Um, and it, just reached a level that i hadn't expected he gave me a copy of the audio actually and and uh i was hooked in really deeply so if you haven't listened to that interview go back and listen to that maybe even before this so you have the full context that was a self published book uh i am blanking on the title of your book right now that is coming out uh the devil a, the devil uh, in us the, the, the devil, devil within, within us, us all. all thank you <laughs> <I'm> really sorry <laughs> um that is coming out with a publisher i think that that is a it speaks to the quality of your work. You're writing really well, that you're able to now be a hybrid author. You have self-published work. You also have work with a publisher. Um, There's so many ways that I want to go with this conversation, but let's stick with giving books away and the right way to do it versus the wrong way to do it. I think that we've both mentioned a right way to do it, which is somewhat review centric, or in your case, community centric you're looking at a specific community that really does read but also is unable to get access to great literature and and not break the bank yeah tell me a little bit more about why that became important to you you already mentioned your past and pulling teeth to to get a new book and things like that yeah why this versus the library route
1: so, with the library route, I think that there's a um, there's a big drawback to the library route because oftentimes libraries won't carry more than one or two copies of your book for one, mm-hmm. and so usually that's not really like a like a bad thing um, because as 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 a smaller author, you're probably not going to have a line of people when you read your book. Um, going this route, it's like you're, you're giving people ownership of the book first and foremost. Mm-hmm. They can also share it from their Kindle library to their family's Kindle library and that kind of deal. Um, and, and it's something that, you know, it's um, going direct to the reader, I think, is way different than the library route. Because mm-hmm. when you see a book at the library, you're like, oh, cool, I can read that book. But if you see an author that's like, I'm willing to give you a free book, I'm willing mm-hmm. to give you that and keep it forever just leave me a review. I think that that is, is so much more personal and um, leaves a lasting impression versus the library out. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I have
0: had people with the the Twitter messages that I'm doing. I've had at least two people so far ask, why are you giving this book away? I think some folks, it causes them to wonder, is it junk? If you're going to give it yes. away for free, is it actually worthwhile? And I do think I've also had several people ask me as I've been doing this for the, the eight ball magic of Suzy Q, uh, like, oh, is it effective? And I know they're asking that question because they're thinking about DMing their followers. And uh, part of me is like, yes, do that. But you have to make sure that the book that you have is super high quality. And uh, mm-hmm. you can put yourself in a position where you start selling a good number of books. Um, and there's a, a lag between when you move those books, or in this case, giving them away for free, there's a lag between that and when the reviews start coming in. So you might, if you're really busting your butt, you might get a hundred copies into people's hands with 15 people who are intent on leaving reviews. And the book has typos. The book is not fully developed. Yeah. The characters aren't really fleshed out as well as they need to be. The story has plot holes. And suddenly maybe 10 of those 15 people leave a two-star review and they're like, tried to get into this, couldn't finish it. You put yourself in a really bad position. So I guess that would be the other thing to talk about. You you have a publisher, but people listening might be self-published. What are the kind of things that you did to make sure that your work was really quality so that when it was going into people's hands, they didn't have that moment where they thought, uh, you know, cool, I got a free book, but it's, you know, crap.
1: Yeah uh that's really difficult um i think that listening to criticism is the biggest thing um something that i'm really open about is that the day that i published the man behind the door i'd gone through like i i self-edited something we talked about on our last podcast yeah um i published it i'd gone through like seven or eight rounds and i was feeling really good about it i self-published it um one of my customers at the pharmacy bought it day one and he tore through it in like three or four days and he came back to me he goes well your book is fantastic but it needs more editing. Mm -hmm. He's like, he's like, don't take that personally. He's like, don't, he's like, he's like, I was an English professor. Like it's my thing. Like your book is fantastic. You need to do another round of editing to get it there. And so I, you know, I I took that to heart. I was like, I was like, no, this is the kind of stuff that I need to hear. Like if you don't Mm -hmm. tell us these things as authors, we're just going to keep thinking that our book is good and that there's no problems with it. Mm -hmm. And every, every book has public, uh, has editing errors. Mm -hmm. Stephen King has them. It's just it's just the name of the game. But it's getting it to the point where it's those are like the extreme exception you read like 99.999% of the book and then you find one error and you're like, Oh, well, whatever. And so I I went through I took his advice, um, reading out loud and reading slowly. I also use the Microsoft Word read aloud function now to edit. So that way I have like a couple different options. So I edit or I write in Scrivener and I export it to Word doc and then I do the read aloud function. And so that way I kind of hear it in two different ways. I take the time to read it out loud and that slowly like catches some errors. And then Mm -hmm. I do a read through and that, you know, as you're listening, you just catch those errors a lot easier. Your mind can't auto correct if you're listening versus reading it. So. Yeah, absolutely true. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that. One downside to that i do
0: similar although i don't do the um i do the the old two finger swipe so i'll take i use vellum if you have mm-hmm. uh, an apple computer you can use vellum yep. otherwise it's not available to you unfortunately but i use vellum so i will take my manuscript when it's as far as i can bring it by just reading through and, and correcting with my own self mm-hmm. and i will import it and then i'll listen to it through my kindle library and i just get my phone for people who aren't watching, oh, okay. which is pretty much everybody, I two-finger swipe on the screen and it starts it reading for me. With uh, they have an AI voice that's actually pretty darn good. I would say the only downside for me is that unfamiliar words, it'll often spell them out. Um, or I don't know, there, there's a couple of like kind of glitchy things. And then my other my other issue is that I tend to listen quickly because that's how I listen to my audiobooks. I listen at two and a half speed most of the time. If you do that, mm-hmm. but you're trying to edit at the same time. I think you can miss things. It's a really effective way, though, to get another pass through and almost, almost as good as having an early pair of proofreading eyes on it. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So what what comes next for you then?
0: I mean, with a traditional publisher, I'm assuming in-house, they're editing for you. Do you you still use beta readers? Do you use any kind of uh, second reader before it goes to the editors in-house?
1: So no, so... um... I think that, that this is a hard question because Wicked House is so new. They they just opened up last year. And so it's still really grassroots. But um, when I um, submitted the manuscript to them, I didn't even have it. Like I've gone through two rounds of editing with it. So it wasn't really there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I was like, they, they did open submissions. Okay, so like, hey, we just opened. And I was like, I sat there and I was like, listen, like, I'm not going to have time to edit this 120,000 word manuscript again before I submit it. And I said, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to take the chance. I'm going to submit it. And hope that on story alone that it gets it. Because I obviously know how to self-publish it. If I miss out on this opportunity, I'm going to miss out on it anyway. Yeah. So I submitted it. um, And they wanted um, the first three chapters. And that made me feel really good. Because um, The Devil Within Us All is like the antithesis of the man behind the door. Okay. Um, Man Behind the Door is such a slow burn novel. And I love slow burns. But The Devil Within Mm -hmm. Us All, like starts at 60 and creeps up to a hundred miles per hour. And that's, um, and that's something I did on purpose. I wanted to experiment with that and do something different. I submitted the full manuscript and, um, within 14 days, I got that, that response back, but they said, I hate, we hate the name. So I had a different name for it originally. Um, and it fit the novel. Um, but they were like, it's not a, it's not a name for a horror novel. It doesn't scream horror. It's not easily marketable as a horror novel. And I said, okay, so I did some thinking, um, and, um, he threw some ideas out at me and I ended up, um, coming up with the devil within us all, which is like perfect for the theme of that novel. And I love it so much more than my original name for it. And I just, mm. I just was like, this is the perfect fit. Yeah. And I mean, I've been really transparent in some of my, um, blog posts about the different challenges that I've had. You know, I had an editor quit on me cause they just didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a different experience than it was for self-publishing, but I've learned a lot from, tr- from going with the traditional publisher. Yeah. Um, the editor I worked with second, I mean, I learned so many great things from her and I think that mm-hmm. I'm going to be able to carry that off into my own editing and have books that are just that much better at face. Mm-hmm. Um, and I plan to keep that hybrid idea. I want to do like a self-published book and a traditional published book because they each have their pros and their cons. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I've been thinking, it's a, a question I think a lot about. I've
0: got a novel uh, I may or may not have mentioned it on the podcast before, but it's called The Stories of Bogey. Uh, and honestly, at the time, the only book I knew of that did something kind of similar was uh, The Things They Carried by Tim O'Brien. Um, there's, there are a lot of books that did what it did, but it, it mashed up my real life story. It was almost like I was writing immediately what was happening around me and then um, threading in a version of my life as a child. But I named the character Bogey. And so I have two threads of my life, but I, I mash it up a little bit. And I, I enjoyed writing that tremendously. I came out of grad school with it. Uh, I still am really proud of that novel. It's massive. It's a really big, huge brick of a book. And I couldn't get anybody to publish it. But I, I kind of thought in my my mind all this time, I will show proof that I can sell a book through the Luke and time mysteries. And then I'll take this to uh, a smaller indie publisher and go the traditional route. I don't ever want to self publish the book because I don't think for the most part, although maybe this is changing that uh, literary readers are going to buy self-published books. There's, there's too much still in the literary community bias against it. Um, But horror is one of those things for me where I'm thinking you can make probably a little bit better money, self-published, always than you can with traditionally published. But talk about some of the doors that open up to you by using a a publisher right now for the devil within us all.
1: So, I mean, immediately I know I'm going to have a larger audience on day one. I'm not going to have to hunt that audience down the way I have with the man behind the door. I mean, I would say that, you know, we talked last October, I think it was, or September. And I've hustled and hustled, but I really didn't start getting that audience until the last three months when I, you know, I've really started like hustling in Books of Horror and the other couple Mm -hmm. of online groups I'm a part of. And just, you know, just putting my presence out there more and interacting with people more on a, not even to sell books basis, but just regular basis. But Mm -hmm. I, I, I never dreamed that I'd have 400 people be like, oh yeah, I want to read your book. Um, and I'm just going to download it and give my email freely because emails are are like money now because people are know. wise to that. And so, um, and then and then just last month I sold um, a hundred copies on Kindle um of Beautiful. that book. I, I, I had a Gage posted a review of it, and um, I posted that review on a couple different groups, and I was like, this is incredible. You know, he's hmm. you know, he's a really well renowned indie author. Um. His stories are fantastic. He's got such a good grip of the human experience for him to have that, that response and that love for this book is fantastic. And it's just a dream come true. And I sold a yeah. uh, hundred Kindle copies that weekend. And that's just like so surreal to me. Yeah. Um, and so I, I mean, it's still chump change. I'm still, you know, only selling about 15 to 20 books a month otherwise. And right, that's still more than what I was doing before. And I'm still, of course, selling more in person, but it's like, I'm starting to see that slowly organic, that slow organic growth. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the devil within us all, it's going to be, it's like, I've got this, this cheat code and I'm going to hit the ground running a little bit. Yeah. And I'll be able to do all these things that I learned from self-publishing. Um, push that book further into the mainstream and i also do think that um it's going to help my man behind the door sales um i actually you know i was really persistent with my publisher about this i said hey Mm -hmm. i want to put a chapter of the man behind the door in at the end of the devil within us all i'm going to do the same for the devil within us all in my book um I was like, and I, I was really persistent about. it. I was like, this is you know really important to me, and mm-hmm. so I chose uh, the chapter with um, with Lee going down into the the crawl space, and then. Oh right, wow! Like,
0: okay, so you yes. didn't even do like chapter one. You you said you know start here.
1: Yeah, so I figured that it's not really enough to be necessarily a spoiler, but it's more yeah. of a that chapter is really where I think it starts to grab, mm-hmm. and I, I toyed with a couple of the early chapters, the concepts. I considered doing the scene with like Larry in the hotel room. And I was like, I don't think I want to do that one, and so I settled on that one because um, on the back of the book, it mentions you know Lee's mother's passing. Mm-hmm. Spoiler, not really, but <laughs> yeah. but, um, but on the back of the book, it mentions that, and I was like, I think that this is a I think this is a great chapter for those readers to 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 partake in and to get hooked on because it's. Uh, definitely got a little bit of that pet cemetery vibe to it, um, mm-hmm. and it's it's got a lot of mystery to it. It makes you want to read more because you want to know what she's talking about. So, I chose that chapter, and then I did the prologue for the Devil Within Us All because I think that that prologue is like perfectly setting the tone for mm-hmm. the book. And so now, on all my print books and my Kindle books, if you buy one, you get the prologue for the Devil Within Us All at the end, and it's um, that's so cool. I'm really excited for for the read through between the two because of that, and because they're unrelated, it'll be a great opportunity, to, like people are like, oh, I'll go buy it. And they don't feel like they have to read it immediately. I think I'll get some sales from that. And yeah. I also think that um, the um, one thing that I've learned with 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 horror is that um, pricing is such a funny thing. So mm-hmm. like um, with horror, people, um, we've talked about this a lot about pricing and like being like, you know, like the more expensive your book, the more it's valued. With yeah. horror, it's like kind of a sweet spot. So I, I sure. think that like 99 cent books, people are kind of like, if it's not a sale, people are like, man, I'm not sure about that. But like uh-huh. I've had a lot of luck with that four dollar range in horror because the four mm-hmm. to five dollar range is pretty consistent. And people really just read based on the merit of your pitch, the merit of your summary. Yes. Um, yes. they're like, I'm gonna take a shot at this because it sounds like something up my alley. And I've read a lot of fantastic books that I didn't think were gonna be that great mm-hmm. just because of that that concept. And so um yeah. So those are some of the things that I'm getting from the publisher. Um, I also think that I'll be able to get featured book bug deals a little bit easier. Um, mm-hmm. I think I've got, I think there are three authors from Wicked House that have gotten featured book bug deals already. Awesome. Which that's is, really cool. Is, which is a pretty big deal. Um, and I mean, I haven't even gotten one yet for the man behind the door. Um, and so I think that that, I think that that's likely that I'll might be able to, you know, get one of those just based on the algorithms that I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. And That's amazing. so um, just, a, just just a couple different little small things and um just speculative things. Um going with a small new indie publisher, I know I'm not gonna have like the power of even like Crystal Lake Publishing mm-hmm. or um Darklit, who are like two fantastic horror literature publishers. Yeah. Um and I mean, they're just putting out some of the the best books. I mean, um Darklit, um the last two books they've released, they've had a thousand preorders each, which is unreal to think of um but um they've got that network and i think that um i chose to get with wicked house because i was like i'm getting on the ground floor and i've got a really good feeling about it worst case scenario is that they go bankrupt and all my rates come back to me that's that's really what we're looking at so so that's why i decided to go with them um and then after i signed with them. I started seeing this trend where books are, you know, they're getting number one bestseller or best, new re- number one new release. And then they're getting number one bestseller in one of their categories. Mm. And I'm like, okay, this is a really, this was a really good decision. You know, it was a good leap of faith to take. And it was a really, I think low risk, high reward situation because mm-hmm. the devil's in us all, um, something that we've talked about is that I, I really, I love horror, but I love like literary fiction horror. Like I mm-hmm. love stuff with like bigger meaning and the yeah. devil's in us all still has that. But it still very much feels like horror versus yeah. the man behind the door does. Um and so I knew that I was working with a smaller audience immediately with the okay. devil to the song. And, and so I said, you know, and so I, you know, I was just being realistic. I knew that people that read The Man Behind the Door would probably take a chance on the Devil to the Song and probably still enjoy it but if i go out to a book signing i meet a new person and i pitch both books i know that they're going to buy the man behind the door versus the devil with the all. interesting
0: the say more about that i'm 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 really i'm curious about about that so you're saying you feel like the book that the the the, the if i'm following you you think that the man behind the door is more horror or less horror? No, no, the,
1: less horror. The Devil Within Us All right. is more of a horror novel than the Man Behind yeah. the Door. The Man Behind uh-huh. the Door, I think, and, and both uh, the the novella that I'm finishing now, and I've started work on on a fourth book. Um, both of those books are similar to the Man Behind the Door, where I take them kind of almost at a literary fiction standpoint. Yep. There's like a lot of strong character growth. The characters are centric. There's a lot of themes yes. to the book. The devil within us all. Within the devil within us all still has all of that, but it's a it, focal point. The plot and like the 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 imagery is more to the forefront than it is with any of my other books. I got um, you. Yeah, I said I set out to write a horror novel um, that depicts you know the nature of good versus evil within human beings and how certain people can use their station in life, whether it's you know higher up in political, religious, whatever, how they can use that power they hold over people to bring up the worst in others. And mm-hmm. tackling that theme, I found that I've leaned really heavily into the imagery and into rhetoric and just different things to to capture that. Whereas there's a lot more nuance with the other writing that I've been doing.
0: Yeah. No, that that makes that makes sense. It's an interesting take because I would typically say uh horror that straight horror maybe has a slightly bigger audience. Almost anytime you put literary into the mix, you start to deal with having uh, people who are going to feel like it moves too slowly. Uh, Character development is antithetical to speed. You need to slow things down. I had a similar experience in that. I wrote the nine lives of Marvin along high to be commercial but I am a literary person. I came through the MFA. Uh, it, it's always in my mind. I prefer reading books that are more textural, layered, character development. I'm really happy with a slice of life book. In fact, those tend to be the books that stay with me the longest. Um, I also love Stephen King, and I think that Stephen King is probably the best marriage. We we talk about this all the time on this podcast, but I think he has the best marriage of character development and pacing. It's like it's like. Uh, candy plus education at the same time. I don't know how he does it. It's it's a wholly different kind of thing versus I've been reading a lot of John Sanford recently. And he... Does almost no character development. I mean, his his main character, Lucas Davenport, really doesn't change from novel to novel. He's the same guy going up against the new baddie. And it's fun, but it doesn't last. Like I can't even tell you what uh Silent Prey was about. And I just finished it. I liked it. I enjoyed it while I was reading it. I was entertained. I like Lucas generally. I like the mysteries, uh, all that kind of stuff. I feel like Sandford lives in a world where he can sell more books at least more quickly or um, who's the other, the other guy uh, that, that is like the king of selling. Alex Cross
1: and James Patterson.
0: Thank you, James, James Patterson, Patterson Cross. Absolutely. <laughs> that's it. Um, yeah, that is it. And, and um, that's, I think that's the other, that's the other side of this is that I think patterson's always going to have an easier time selling more books than somebody who really dives into character development you seem to see it differently though so i want to hear a little bit more from you about your thought on that that character
1: development and why you would think that the man behind the door would be the the better seller so i think um and it all depends on how you present it i've never talked to someone where i'm trying to sell a book and i have said hey this is kind of like literary fiction I still think the man the right door is a slow burn novel, um, but it moves. at still a pretty good pace. I think the way that it's broken up and the way that I, I usually end a chapter pretty well on like a, a pretty big event or on a cliffhanger or something like that to keep the reader drawn in. Um, and I model that a little bit after King's writing style, because I think from chapter to chapter King does a very good job of like, um, it shows some character growth. It shows some plot development and then it ends on kind of a good note that makes you like, Oh, I want to read the next chapter. And so um, what I what I do is when I when I pitch the man behind the door, I pitch it um, as like, hey, this is a horror novel. Um, but it focuses on grief, trauma and addiction with the ghost story spin um, and has a really strong focus on the the trauma that these characters experience and how it shapes them from generation to generation. Yeah. What that does, I think, for people is as a horror reader, you're like, oh, this is a horror novel with some. With some texture, um, your your review quote about Book of Accidents, Pet Cemetery, um, and um, what was the other one? Oh, um Cosmology of Monsters is on the back of my book now because I think oh, it's nice. the quickest way to sell a horror novel. Because it's like they, the guy in your hands, you give them the pitch, and if they are willing to read a horror novel, you give them that pitch. Maybe it's not their preferred genre, but you give them that pitch. They read that back, but then you hear they hear the pitch, and they're like, "Oh, this has some really." Um, deep layers to it. It's got a lot going on in it. I'm gonna take a chance on it. Inversely, if you hear the pitch and you're like, "Well, I'm not really into slow burn," but then you read the back of the book and you see, you know, Pet Cemetery, Cosmology uh-huh. Monsters, Book of Accents. You're like, "Well, those are some really good big powerhouses in horror fiction." I'm gonna take a chance on this book, and so I kind of like play the two off of each other, and I think that's part of the reason why I have so much fortune selling it um, in person, especially because. Finding readers that read horror out in the wild is a little bit harder than I would have thought being a lifelong reader of that um but I find that a lot of people take chances on it and they respond well to it they'll reach back out to me they'll leave me a review yeah. that kind of deal and so I kind of played the two off of each other and then as far as the horror community as a whole um people are going to read what they're going to read um there's like an equally two there's like two different schools of thought in horror now it's like we want elevated horror that means something and then we want like the romp in the woods as wild as it can get, and so and they're both yeah. about equally sized and they have about the same amount of crossover. I found people enjoy both, or they enjoy one or the other, and a lot of that is owed to like people like Jordan Peele who are putting out movies that like really make yes. you think that have a lot of stuff going on, and so um, or Hereditary, Ali, you know Ari Aster mm-hmm. that kind of deal. There's a lot of there's a lot of changes going on, and a lot of that's owed to film um Mm. and it's creating a little bit of a revival which is incredible but um i think that just overall in person especially like going to going to an event where it's not specifically for horror authors i can sell the man behind the door in my sleep i I know what its merits are and i know that if this person is willing to read Stephen king book they're going to enjoy my book and that's the that's the tactic i take
0: that makes that makes perfect sense to me so it's very very much about your comfort level with the the pitch that you have for the two different books. Uh, and you know, 100%. you know how to position it. That makes sense. Uh, okay. So, I, I mean, there's, again, I just feel like we have to be really efficient with time, but I do want to stop and talk a little bit about uh, any kind of, in-person work that you're doing? Because I think that's one thing maybe my podcast doesn't cover enough of is what are you doing with your actual feet on uh, terra firma in the real world to sell books? That's not necessarily through book groups or online or emails or anything like that. How are you moving copies of your book in the real world?
1: So I'm still doing mostly like, you know, brick and mortar at my job. I still sell 15 to 20 books a month. I've kept that pace up consistently for the last, like, six or seven months, which is really fantastic. Um, Pre-orders are really good for the Devil Within Us All. I've got, like, $500 of pre-order money at this point for the Devil Within Us All. So, on launch day, I'm going to be able to order the books that I owe from the publisher, plus an additional, I think, like, 30 or 40 um, to have in store without... Owing out any money without any credit cards or anything like that. That's and amazing. I position myself that way. Um, so that way I can have that. And so for a solid month, I'm going to have just straight income of, you know, this is gonna be straight profit that I can reinvest. And that was really a, a big thing. That's um great. I haven't been doing as much as I should like book signing-wise. Life has been nuts, you know, wedding planning moving. Um I've got the, you know, a new baby on the way. I mean it's it's been nuts. But um I did um just buy the vendor table for AuthorCon three, which I'm really excited about. Um Authorcon two was really big and it's, it's like a charity event provided by Scares of Care. Um but it's like a huge author horror fiction event. Um I'm sharing a table with Gage Greenwood um and he's got so much like such a big reputation at this point he's he's got a huge online presence he's constantly talking to people um and he's got a pretty good fan base and so i I think that's going to be awesome for me Um, and we both have the same mentality we go out there and we like harass people like car salesmen it's like hey come to my table and talk about the book like absolutely like let's let's go let's go and so and that's like the one piece of advice no matter how often you manage to get out there and sell books. You have to to act like like you're getting a ten thousand dollar commission for selling your book. One book is ten thousand dollars. That's like yes. the attitude I have. I and love, of, I love, love, love that. A lot of authors. I mean, I go to events and authors just sit there, and, and I understand. I mean, I think that writing as a whole appeals to an inverted person. I think you know if you're an inverted person, writing appeals to you. You can express yourself, and you're doing it from the comfort behind a screen, and then beyond that, you have the buffer of a book. You have pages. It yeah. goes from pages to screen to you. And so you have that buffer and you get to express yourself like you normally wouldn't. But then when you go out there to sell it, it's just you feel kind of awkward sitting there and being like, hey, come buy my book. And that was a challenge for me. The first book signing I ever did, the first people that I talked to it was like two 20-year-old girls. And I was like, I was like, hey, and I was like stuttering. I was so nervous and it was so nerve-wracking. Um, but I got through the pitch. They read the back of the book and they were like, "We're gonna each buy a copy." And so I sold two copies at twelve oh one. My book signing started at twelve. I sold two copies at twelve. Oh, amazing! And like after that, it's like once you pop the cherry is what I refer to it as. Once you pop the cherry once, it's it's so much easier. And at that point, it's just someone walks by and like, "Hey, do you have a second to talk about my book?" Yes. and you, and you come at it at like a very respectful but kind way, and then you hook them in, and then you give them the ten thousand dollar pitch, and my attitude is I take 25 to 35 books to a two or three hour book signing. And I'm like, I'm mm-hmm. going to sell all of my books. And there's only been a couple times that I haven't done that. The first time I did it, I didn't sell all my books. Um, but the last three times that I've gone to book signings, I've sold out of all my books, 25 that's, to 35. That's brilliant.
0: So, and, and and with that in mind, did you leave any sales on the table? If you sold your 25 or 30, 35 books, did you, did you leave anything on the the the, the table?
1: So no, so um fortunately enough like I the timing has always been perfect. I don't know how I managed to figure out exactly the number that I have um but um I did um I did a signing where I partnered with uh Engage comics in Martinsburg and it was during the holiday tree lighting and it was a mm-hmm. beautiful day and I walked in there and I looked at the the owner I said, hey, I want to set my table up outside. It's was like the other guy with me, he's cool with it. I want to set it up outside and I just want to talk to people as they walk by. And so rather than sit in this brick and mortar business, um, I I set the table up outside and instead of getting the 20 or 30 people coming through, I talked to like 150 people and I sold 35 books across that 150 people. And um, I mean, those are, those are, those are great numbers, especially when you're working in a niche genre. And so I I sold those 35 books. Um, I actually had two books left, but I, but I was like, Kim, do you want to buy these two books and sell them here? Cause he did some indie stuff. And he said, yeah, absolutely. So, So he bought the two books. So I had two books left. He took those. And then um, in my last signing, I did a, a coffee shop. And I'm a firm believer of steering away from bookstores wherever you can for a multitude of reasons. reasons. First of all, (laughs) bookstores take a little bit of your profits and that's, and that's fine. You want to support them. I'm still going to do bookstores. Do
0: stop really quickly because you said you, you ran past it just a little too fast. You said you still want to support them. I'm going to make a caveat. I've actually got a podcast out today where I I drop an F bomb in regards (laughs) to bookstores because I say basically, okay, You're going to treat all of your traditionally published authors like normal customers. You're going to carry their product. And if the product gets stolen, you're responsible for the shrink. But if you carry an indie author, then they're responsible for the shrink. You will not compensate them. So first, they have to give you your books on consignment. And then if they're stolen, they won't compensate you. Who's there to watch out for you if you're in a bookstore? Bookstores have gotten to this point where they're very high and mighty Especially about uh, self-published authors. So for me, I don't think I want to support a bookstore until they start to create an environment that's actually supportive of the authors in their store, not just the big publishers that they have to bow to. So anyways, you ran past that. I wanted to say it again because I think it's super important. I do love bookstores. I still shop at them, but wow.
1: So I, um, I pretty much only work with bookstores that don't work off as consignment they do the 60 40 split up front okay so yep. so so i i sell my book to them they give me the 60 percent uh but i mean that's still chump change based on what i normally make selling a book and going with traditional yeah. publishing now my book costs are going to be higher and so that 60 40 split's going to become even more just just unattracted to me because i'm going to be making Absolutely. a very narrow margin i'm going to be making my gas money back and i'm going to be making the money back from my couple promotional materials probably that I'm getting out. Yeah. And I think that that's, I, I I get that from a business standpoint, but at the same time, I'm I, I'm not a fan of it because it's, you right. know, indie publishing is becoming a bigger thing. Um, and it just needs to be revamped a little bit, I think, on that front. The 60-40 split, I don't think is very fair to the author, especially considering the amount of work they put in it. And more often than not, they're the ones that are still there selling the book. So every bookstore I've worked with has done 60-40 split. I've been there signing copies. And they basically just collect it as I sell it. And then at the end, they write me a check. Okay. I did a coffee shop back in in March, I think it was, Mm -hmm. in a coffee shop. And I went in there with 25 books. And they were like, if you collect your money, we're not going to take any of your sales. You just set up a table and you do your thing. And I was like, the coffee shop is a perfect thing for me because you look for these businesses that have lap over. People that drink coffee typically yeah. like to read. Like or yeah. at least people that read like to drink coffee. There's a there's a lap over there. Right. And so I I targeted this. And then like um one thing I'm gonna try to do this summer is craftships. People that are that are crafty and that enjoy yeah. homemade things, there's a lot of lap over with reading. They enjoy the act of creating and they can appreciate a good book. Absolutely. And so I try to target these things where like, I've got a low or no admission fee. And then I just capture all my money via cash or via mm-hmm. my square tile. Um, and, and in comparison, I sold 25 books at um at a bookstore and I made like 120 bucks. I sold 25 books at, um so or I sold 20 books at a bookstore. I made a hundred and something dollars, like hundred less than $110. I sold 25 books at the coffee shop and I walked away with $300. Wow. There's a huge disparity there, um, and it's because I'm retaining all that money. And it's like, right. I challenge authors to to look at it both ways. Uh, you know, you're trying to run a business. You need to make money to stay afloat and to be able to continue to invest in it. Um, but don't be afraid to give away books. Uh, and that's that. I made a blog post a couple of weeks ago about how I kind of started seeing the almighty dollar instead of seeing the big picture, the long road. Right. And that's where I started doing the giveaways again and started, you know, just thinking about it that way because it's, um, it's a balance. Um, if you just go out and just try to sell a million books and you don't do anything else to give back to the reading community that you're trying to reach, you're probably not going to sell a million books. But if you're the guy that, you know, there was a lot of giveaways going on because there's a lot of financial instability and you say, hey, I'm going to give away my book for free for an entire week. Anyone can get it there's no limit yeah. to it. Just do it. You get a lot of, a lot of goodwill. And so, and I mean, you know, from a, from a moral standpoint, like I wanted to do that too. It wasn't just like business wise, right. but, but if that's, if you don't, if you don't see the merit of giving a book to another human being and affecting their lives, view it from the business standpoint that you're potentially making a lifelong reader, because they're going to remember that when they couldn't afford to buy a book, you gave them a book for free. You're, you're absolutely right. And it's, it's, Back
0: to the real purpose that I invited you onto the show was was that post of, of giving books away. I think it's so clear to me listening to you that you have the perfect outlook on why to give books away versus why to sell books. And so I don't think that much needs to be said in terms of authors out there listening. Don't give your book away because you don't think that it has value. Don't give your book away because you think there's no other way to get readers. Start to value your own work so that you understand it has great value. Price it, like like William said, at a level where it is the same as the other books in your genre, but on a high end, go, go high end so that you're communicating to people, Hey, there's quality to be found here. Um, and then be ready to give it away to people who need the book or people who will give you some buzz, uh, make sure that you're getting value out of that or that you're giving value. You're not giving value to somebody. If you're giving them a free book that they're never going to read so that
1: you can feel good about having given away copies of the book. What else would you say about that? Um, I think you pretty much covered it. Um, one thing that um, that I wanted to touch on, just uh, to see your thoughts on it, um, and um, I, I've been toying with the idea a little bit, um, is, is Kindle Unlimited. You know that I was yeah. part of Kindle Unlimited you know, when we first started talking. I've since yep. left Kindle Unlimited because I wanted to be able to give my book away more freely to be able to do that. Um, yep. um, but I think there's a lot of merit in Kindle Unlimited in a limited scope most mm-hmm. authors that I know and wicked house puts all their books on Kindle unlimited. Okay. And I mean, there's a lot, there's a, there's an accessibility to it. And if you have enough uh, of a reputation that you can make a lot of money from doing Kindle unlimited, yes. potentially a lot more than you can from doing just regular Kindle because of the fact that you're going to get more readers because they're already paying that $10 entrance fee. Yeah. But my challenge to people and, and something that I that think about a lot, I don't plan to put, another book into Kindle Unlimited. I've got The Devil Within Us All in Kindle Unlimited now. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of authors would would benefit from having at least one book in Kindle Unlimited where they can say, if someone reaches out and they say, hey, I've got Kindle Unlimited um, and I want to read something on there. Yes. Bam, The Devil Within Us All. Um, Because uh, sometimes people, I mean, even if you offer your book for free download, people don't even want to partake in it. They don't want to deal with it. Right. it's just amazing the barriers that exist because i'm like i'm giving you something for free all you have to do is hit download right that is still enough of a barrier for some people but kindle unlimited it's is sort of... such a, a cool hybrid thing um mm-hmm. but it's 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 really predatory in a lot of ways too um Very. i think that authors that put their all their work in kindle unlimited aren't going to succeed I, I have a lot of respect i mentioned gage greenwood a couple of times in this interview but he's got a similar mindset to us so he um he took all of his books off of Kindle Unlimited, and he now has his eBooks as a pay-for-what-you-want model on his website, and yeah. so people can get his books for free if they want to. Well, oh, that's amazing. Um, but he's, okay. he's got um. But he's still bringing in direct money. So if he gives away three books yeah. for free, but someone gives him a dollar, he's taking that whole dollar. And if he's if he's selling four books on regular Kindle at um, you know, at you know, or sells one book at four dollars, he's only making that dollar anyway. But at this point, he's gotten Man. his book into four people's hands. He's won some goodwill, and oh I, I think that is just a, an amazing concept. And so, I, I have a lot of respect for that that mindset. And that's that's another thing that kind of pushed me to, to reevaluate my view on book sales and giving it away for free Man. more. And I, I, I love the concept. And um, and like I said, Kindle Unlimited is so predatory. I, personally, I kind of really hope that Kobo um, mm. subscription service starts to gain some some steam and stays fairly decent for authors for a while because Kobo seems, I've done a lot of research on it, but what I've read is that, you know, they don't require you to be, um, to be exclusive to be on the Kobo subscription service. They don't have a lot on there right now, um, but they pay their authors better too. There's just a lot of different things with it. Um, and it would be great to see that happen because it would be great to see Amazon have to pivot Kindle Unlimited's model model a little bit and to move away from that exclusive and predatory thing because you're yes. literally only making ebook sales from, from Amazon. Um, you're getting paid like half a penny for every page read, which amounts to probably $2 a book most times. Yes. Um, and it's just like, it's just, it's just, uh, there's so many, it's, it's, but they know what they have to, and they know that yep. they, they have that you get a lot of exposure for that. So, um, I don't know what your thoughts on Kindle Limited are. Ken, I'm sure they probably pretty close aligned to, to that. Um, yeah, but I, I'm excited to have at least one book on there. I challenge other authors as they self-publish to remove all your books, but like one or two. If you have a series, leave the first book on there, um, and then put everything else behind a paywall. Yeah, and you'll be surprised. You you might it might be a while, but you'll see that start to trickle in. If people love the first book in your series, they're going to pay for the the rest of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I mean, my my thoughts are. Um nuanced, like you said, pretty similar to yours. I had the Nine Lives of Marvita along High on KAU for a six-week period. So, I dropped it in for six weeks. Immediately, as soon as I made it available, I said, you know, withdraw me so that it's going to take me out after my six-week period. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm doing a couple of other things. And so, this is me. I'm not... I'm not recommending other people do this. I don't even know if what I'm doing is technically wrong uh, because my understanding is that you're not supposed to be with retailers. I still sell The Nine Lives of Marvita Long High from my own bookstore. But my own bookstore is only my stuff. So I do not believe I'm considered a retailer. Uh, if they want to pull me off of KU, if someone were to listen to this podcast and be like, wow, this guy's cheating, so be it. I don't need Amazon to be a successful author. It makes it a little bit easier for me in some ways. I'm sending out a note to all of the people who took my deal for the eight ball magic of Suzy Q so that they could get that book for free and send a review. Basically, what I say to them is, hey, this is a big responsibility for both of us because I promise to deliver you high quality and you you promise to deliver me an honest review on Amazon. And the reason that you do that for me on Amazon as opposed to somewhere else is that that's where I get the best social proof. <laughs> there are still a ton of readers who are looking specifically to Amazon for the social proof. But any other reason to have KU other than to get those reviews because it's such a low barrier to entry, I can't see a good excuse to have it on KU. I will mention one other thing. I don't understand the algorithm, but there's a little bit of deception going on because if I get 400 pages of read through on KU, I jump at least, and I haven't done the exact math, but I jump at least twice as high in the Kindle rankings every time I get KU reads. So yesterday, for example, I sold three books for the nine lives of Margaret Long High on Kindle, and I jumped from 750,000 to 539. this morning. I, and and I'm watching stats, so it's not like lag time here uh, in reporting. This morning, I had 200 pages of read through on uh, KU, and I jumped up 200,000 just boom, like that. So they're 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 doing a little bit of fudging with the algorithm. They're they're showing some preference for KU, and that ranking can't help your visibility. So it's a complex issue uh, because I know I know authors who are making seven figures a year off of uh Kindle exclusive series. Uh, I recently did a written interview with L.A. Dobbs. She has uh, six books now that are in the top 10,000 on on Kindle. So she's just raking um, for, for her books. She spends a lot of money on advertising as well, but man, uh, it's hard. So uh, I had more to say about it than I thought I did. <laughs>
1: No, I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, like I found I've actually had more success since leaving KU than I did while I was in KU. Yes, absolutely. Giving away books, giving away books um, and just just interacting with people. I mean, I just, I just found that, but I did notice, I mean, I have noticed that too, that I felt like that I was getting, um, I was getting more page reads than I was selling books, but I wasn't making as much money. And it was like, and, and it's hard to say. And then that algorithm is so so intriguing to me. I mean, you know, I I yes. remember when I when I had that sale over the weekend and I sold a hundred books. You know, I jumped so fast into the higher echelons. I you know I broke the ten thousand mark in in Kindle um, sales. Yep. I was in the top ten thousand for the whole Kindle store. I was like number twenty two in ghost thrillers at one point, and it's uh yeah. it's a, it's such a cool feeling. And like I, I I really wanted that number one spot. And I never should have set myself up for that failure because the number hmm. one spot belonged to Colleen Hoover. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so it's just like you have to sell a lot of books to outsell Colleen Hoover on any given day. Um, yes, you do. But but it's um but it's a it's a step in the right direction. You know, I could say that you know I broke that ten thousand mark. Um, I sold a hundred books, and as a, as a self-published author who has nobody behind them, I don't even have a street team. I am yeah. brick and mortar guerrilla warfare selling yeah. my book on my own, and that's such a such a huge accomplishment. And yes, it is. I I. I ch- challenge authors to you know just you know to 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 take every victory no matter how small and just keep building upon it because that's how this all started i mean um my first victory was was this podcast you know we talked about it you know i was selling eight books a month and you're like hey you can do better than that like your book is good i went to 50 books a month and from there it's just i've been building on different things continually growing and it's just like like take the kick in the butt that you need and continue to grow past it and that's yeah so huge.
0: Yes, absolutely. Those are such good words too, man. Um, it is, uh, should not go without saying congratulations for, for jumping that high in the Kindle store. That is really hard work. Uh, it means that you have something that people want and that, that the proof is, is in the product. I love your book. Um, I, I obviously have not read the devil within us all yet, but I'm a, a huge fan of, the man behind the door. Are you using the same audiobook reader for the devil within us all or are you going audio? What's what's happening there?
1: It, it's gonna go audio, I'm sure. Um so right now, Wicked House does all the audio rights. So, um that was one of the things they wanted okay. to retain. And I was like, yeah. you know, um that's fine. Um I figured it would be longer before I could start moving in that direction. But they've um they've been working closely with tour books. Oh wow, um, okay. They've they've got um they've got one book or three books now coming audiobook from tour books, um, and one of them is read by the great Joe Hempel. Joe Hempel is like the one of the best horror narrators. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Time. I love Joe Hempel, and I I cannot wait to listen to that book on audio now. Um, yeah. Um, I think that if I could pick anybody to read any of my books, I'd probably pick. Um, I think his name's Tom Gordon. Tom Jordan. He read Andrew Van Ways, um mm. "Forsaken," which. Um, Anybody listening should listen to Forsaken, or listen or read Forsaken by Andrew Van Way. Fantastic okay. book, super slow burn and great prose. Some of the best prose I've ever read. Mm. Yeah. Um, I have,
0: um, XC Sands is reading my audiobooks. books and uh, it's not, it's not cheap. Uh, I own it once it's finished, which is kind of cool. Uh, I went through yeah. one night stand studio, which is where she does her indie work. Uh, and I'm so excited to have those. and really scared of the bill. I'm I you know, obviously I can pay it. Not everybody can do what I'm doing in terms of paying for the audio. So that is a huge challenge. Yeah. Owning the audio is a cool thing. but I love I love what you just said. If I could have anybody read my book, uh, that's who you would have read your book because that's why I reached out to Xe is, I'd heard her narrate books that I love. Chuck Wendig, um, The Wanderers. She is one of a couple readers for that book. And it just grabs you so hard and just carries you along, drags you through. My wife reads romances and she loved The Wanderers. So Exie was the clear choice. And I was happy to pay that. If I were going to have a write a book from a male perspective, there's a couple and there's no way I would ever get them. Uh, but Will Patton reads a lot of Stephen King. Have you Have you listened okay. to any of Stephen King read by Will Patton? Yes. Damn. He's so, so good. But uh, like, I don't even know what it would cost you at will to read your book. That would be... uh a huge nuts, stretcher. Yeah. yeah, it would be nuts, but it would be great. It would be amazing to have his voice. He's such a good reader. He also, Will Patton, I think was personal friends with Dennis Johnson. So he is the reader for uh, Train Dreams, Jesus' Son, The Largesse of the Sea Maiden, and his voice. He's just off the charts, good at audiobook reading. Uh, the other one is uh, Campbell Scott. He is amazing as well. So those would be my two like big reaches on the male side.
1: Awesome, man. No, yeah, I I would love Joe Hempel or Tom Jordan. I mean, Tom Jordan like just captures the, um, just the prose so well. And yeah, I've never read a, um, read or listened to a book quite like Forsaken because it's got a lot of detail, but it's like so tastefully done and it's so perfect. Um, something I've always talked about is like, I hate too much detail and it's such a hard balancing act to find. Mm -hmm. Whereas you can actually sit there and you can say, wow, like that guy painted the picture perfectly and it wasn't too much. Um, because once you get to a certain point, it gets muddled. So, yeah. So yeah. Um, I'm hoping. I'm hoping that I get. You know, a dream would be, you know, Joe Hempel through tour. I couldn't imagine if you read the Devil Within us all. Um, yeah. But that would be that would be incredible. And then um, I've actually got a friend through the pharmacy. He um, he's an older guy, but he um, just signed an audiobook deal um, to read audiobooks. His name is um, Nick Narangis. and he's um, he's like he's like if you ever have a book, I'll send it to my editor uh, if you want to read. And I'm like. Yeah, I'm definitely take you up on that when I get the, when I get the next one ready to publish for sure. Very cool.
0: Well, let's, uh, let's land this, this bad boy. I'm going to give you a chance to share with everybody how to get all of your work, but I did, I was saving one thing for you because you mentioned earlier, and I didn't even know this by the way, that you had put, uh, Mm -hmm. my blurb on your, your book. But if you go right now and look at the, uh, preview for the print edition of the eight ball magic of Susie Q. Uh, you are one of two people that's featured on the back as praise for the nine lives of Marvita Longhi. So thoroughly, thoroughly grateful for you. And that's how much I believe in your work. I think maybe today somebody will look at that and say, who's William Gray, but I believe in my heart that within the next 12 months uh, to two years, uh, people are going to be like, wow, how'd you get him to blurb your book? <laughs> so uh, <laughs> thank you. Really, for that. That's, yeah. uh, that
1: feels surreal to hear.
0: Absolutely. That's, that's you're, awesome. you're, a great you, you're 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 very welcome. So tell people who are listening
1: how to find your book, how to get your book, all the good stuff. Um so WilliamFgrayfishing.com, still my website. Go there. You can find everything as far as like signed print editions, that kind of deal. As far as um getting the book, of course, Amazon is the best way for ebooks. Um I still go through that. Um but I really, really encourage people to get the print editions from uh from my website. I'll sign, send some bookmarks, all that cool stuff. And then beyond that, find me on Substack. It's William F. Gray Fiction. I've got like one out of four good Substacks. The rest of the three are, are decent, but like one out of every four is gold, I think. So, Thank so you. follow me on Substack. <laughs> um, but uh that's that's the place I'm most active. Um and you can also just join my regular email list at williamfgrayfiction.com too awesome okay i'll have links for all of that in the show notes it was fantastic talking with you man all right thank you man
0: thank you for listening to trbm the theme music was provided by the ever talented christopher Talon. and hey if you liked what you heard share this show with other readers because what's the point of telling stories if nobody's listening